Who are working in the newborn nursery caring for Paola Braga, a 7-pound, 9-ounce, healthy-appearing female infant born at 39 weeks gestation? Paola's parents share that during the pregnancy, there was something wrong with Paola's heart, and they are supposed to see a cardiologist today. The delivery proceeded without complications, and APGAR scores were 8 at 1 minute and 9 at 5 minutes. She appears well, generally at first, but as her mother was feeding her, you saw her turn diffusely cyanotic. And on your physical exam, you hear a systolic ejection murmur at the left upper sternal border and a single S2 sound without split. As you prepare to explain your findings to her new parents, you wonder, how will you explain the news to the Bragas, and can you give them a better sense of the long-term prognosis? Consider your answers as we begin this next episode. Welcome to Audiobricks. I'm Adam Weinstein, bringing cardiology from our bricks to your ears. Let's get started demonstrating how kids are not little adults. After completing this brick, you will be able to, one, define the right-sided obstructive cyanotic heart defects, tetralogy of Fallot, and tricuspid atresia. Two, describe the clinical presentation, pathophysiology, complications, diagnosis, and management of tetralogy of Fallot. And three, describe the clinical presentation, pathophysiology, complications, diagnosis, and management of tricuspid atresia. Part one. What are obstructive congenital heart defects? Congenital heart defects come in various shapes and sizes. They may include obstruction to blood flow and or shunts, which are abnormal openings where blood moves from one side of the circulation to the other. Some congenital heart defects consist of a single malformation, whereas many have multiple malformations. In this episode, we are going to discuss obstructive congenital heart defects affecting the right side of the heart, the chambers that normally supply blood to the lungs for it to become oxygenated. And if blood does not get oxygenated, the patient develops cyanosis, or blue-appearing skin, instead of pink. This is often well appreciated in the tips of the fingers, the nail beds, or the mucosa. Tetralogy of Fallot and tricuspid atresia are two of the five most common cyanotic congenital heart defects. These are right-sided obstructive defects that are also characterized by a right-to-left shunt in which blood passes through an abnormal opening from the right or pulmonary circulation into the left or systemic circulation, presenting as cyanosis. In isolation, these obstructions would typically be incompatible with life, so let's discuss these defects in more detail and learn how a neonate can survive until diagnosis and treatment. Part 2. What is Tetralogy of Fallot? Tetralogy of Fallot is the name for the combination of four, hence the term tetra, specific congenital heart defects. These include pulmonary valve stenosis, right ventricular or RV hypertrophy due to the pulmonary valve stenosis, a ventricular septal defect or VSD, and an overriding aorta in which the aorta is displaced to the right over the VSD rather than over the left ventricle, or LV, resulting in blood flow from both ventricles moving into the aorta. This malformation results in a right-to-left shunt for two reasons. First, because of the overriding aorta, blood from the right ventricle passes directly into the aorta. And second, because of the pulmonary valve stenosis, there are higher RV pressures, so some blood passes from right-to-left ventricle through the VSD. Note, 
that both a pulmonary valve obstruction and a VSD are necessary to create these problems. A VSD in isolation, without pulmonary stenosis, would cause the blood to shunt left to right. Deoxygenated blood would never make it to the left ventricle, and thus no cyanosis. Tetralogy of Fallot occurs in about 3 out of every 10,000 live births in the United States. Although it is not a common disease, it is one of the two most common cyanotic congenital heart defects and is the most common one that is not detected in the neonatal period. Close to half of patients with Tetralogy of Fallot have additional cardiac anomalies as well. If not diagnosed prenatally, there are many clinical features and physical findings that should raise suspicion for Tetralogy of Fallot. These include cyanosis, tet spells, and certain physical examination findings. The degree of pulmonary valve stenosis, or RV outflow obstruction, contributes to how severe and early a child will develop symptoms. In severely restricted pulmonary artery flow, neonates may be born with cyanosis and require treatment and surgical intervention in the first days of life. Children with less significant obstruction may not present immediately and may appear pink and healthy. However, these children will eventually present with what are commonly referred to as TET spells, which are episodes of cyanosis, rapid breathing, and irritability. Hmm, I wonder if this is what our patient Paola might be presenting with when we saw her suddenly develop cyanosis during her feeding. So what accounts for these TET spells? One common explanation is that during exertion, such as feeding or crying, or other stressors such as fever, anemia, or hypovolemia, either the systemic arteries dilate, lowering systemic resistance, and or the RV outflow obstruction worsens, as in with hypovolemia. The suddenly lowered systemic resistance will lower LV pressure and cause more deoxygenated blood to cross right to left across the VSD. Likewise, the suddenly increased RV obstruction enhances right-to-left shunting, leading to clinical tet spells. Interestingly, squatting helps the symptoms of a tet spell because this action increases systemic arterial resistance, which decreases the amount of deoxygenated blood shunting from right to left. Physical exam findings in Tetralogy of Fallot, other than cyanosis or cyanotic episodes, will include a systolic ejection murmur related to the pulmonary valve stenosis and is best heard over the left upper sternal border. The normal splitting of S2 may be absent because of the high right-sided heart pressures and overriding aorta, coordinating aortic and pulmonary valve closure together. Let's review the above with a question. What are TET spells? Tet spells are episodes of cyanosis, rapid breathing, and irritability in patients with Tetralogy of Fallot that occur during sudden worsening of right-to-left shunting, such as with exertion, agitation, or other physiologic stressors. Tetralogy of Fallot is thought to be due to the malalignment of the conal septum, which divides the early fetal truncus arteriosus into the aorta and pulmonary artery during embryologic development of the heart. This malalignment shifts the septum to the right, which causes the right outflow tract to be narrowed and the aorta to be misaligned in overriding the ventricular septum, creating a connection between right and left sides, and in essence, a ventricular septal defect. The RV hypertrophy is a consequence of the high systemic level RV pressures. Okay, question break. Let's again review. In the context of an isolated VSD, why doesn't deoxygenated blood from the RV mix with oxygenated blood in the LV? 
In an isolated VSD, the pressure in the LV is higher than the pressure in the RV, so oxygenated blood moves across the VSD from left ventricular to right ventricular, or a left-to-right shunt, so the mixing occurs in the RV rather than the LV. Part 3. How is Tetralogy of Fallot diagnosed and treated? Diagnosis of Tetralogy of Fallot is confirmed by echocardiography, but it may also be suggested by certain chest X-ray findings. The chest X-ray may show RV hypertrophy and a smaller pulmonary knob in the area where the pulmonary valve normally resides. These findings result in a narrow mediastinum and a larger cardiac silhouette, commonly referred to as a boot-shaped heart. As I mentioned, echocardiography is the definitive diagnostic test for tetralogy of Fallot. It is able to demonstrate the VSD, the overriding aorta, and the RV outflow obstruction. Treatment of tetralogy of Fallot can be divided into acute symptom management of tet spells and more definitive surgical management for long-term correction. Tet spells can be disconcerting for all involved. The first step in caring for a child during a tet spell is to focus on symptom relief. One method of relief is to have a parent hold the child with the child's knees toward their chest. This simulates squatting and is also comforting for the child being held and may decrease their agitation and improve shunting. Oxygen supplementation is very important and effective for more ways than one, as it will dilate the pulmonary arteries and constrict the systemic arteries, allowing the blood from the RV to flow more freely into the lungs and decreasing that which will shunt from RV to LV. Morphine is sometimes used during tet spells for sedation and pain relief as it decreases agitation. Depending on context and concurrent illness, volume expansion or beta blockers may also be used. Surgical repair of tetralogy of Fallot is generally done in the first year of life. It involves correcting the pulmonary stenosis by either open surgical or catheter-based balloon valvuloplasty and, at the same time, closing the VSD. This allows RV blood to more freely pass into the pulmonary circulation, relieving the right-to-left shunting and cyanosis. Patients tend to do well after surgery, although arrhythmias and pulmonary valve regurgitation are complications. On the other hand, patients generally do not do very well without surgery. Approximately 50% of patients without treatment do not survive past age three years, though this depends on the severity of the RV outflow obstruction to begin with. What two major goals are achieved during surgical repair of Tetralogy of Fallot? During repair of Tetralogy of Fallot, the VSD is closed, which prevents the mixing of blood, and valvuloplasty relieves the RV outflow obstruction. Part 4. What is tricuspid atresia? As its name suggests, tricuspid atresia refers to the absence of a functional tricuspid valve. The consequence of this results in a lack of a direct connection between the right atrium, or RA, and RV, and no blood flow to the pulmonary circulation. This congenital heart defect is incompatible with postnatal life unless it is associated with another anomaly that can reroute blood from the obstructed RA to another part of the heart that can connect the blood flow to the pulmonary artery and the lungs. This anomaly is typically a combination of an atrial septal defect, or ASD, a patent foramen ovale, or PFO, VSD, and or a patent ductus arteriosus, or PDA. 
in the most severe cases, sometimes referred to as hypoplastic right heart syndrome, the RV is underdeveloped. And so a PDA is essential to maintain blood flow to the pulmonary artery and the lungs until additional surgical management is performed. Like Tetralogy of Fallot, this is a right-sided obstruction and is a cyanotic congenital heart defect with a right-to-left shunt. Therefore, poorly oxygenated blood circulates in the systemic circulation. Tricuspid atresia is less common than Tetralogy of Fallot, with an estimated instance of 1 in 10,000 live births. If not detected on prenatal imaging, the clinical presentation may vary depending on the presence or absence of pulmonary artery obstruction and RV development. Infants with a relatively functional RV and without pulmonary artery obstruction will present with a higher than normal pulmonary blood flow. This is because both the left and right-sided circulation receive the systemic circulation from the ASD, PFO, VSD, and or PDA. These patients may present as neonates with signs of heart failure from LV overload. They may show tachypnea, failure to thrive, and dyspnea on feeding. Infants with an impaired RV and or restricted pulmonary blood flow will present the same way, but with acute worsening as the ductus arteriosus begins to close on the second day after birth. This is a life-threatening development and must be diagnosed and treated emergently, often through maintaining the PDA with prostaglandin infusion and creation of an atrial shunt, if not already present, through catheter-based creation of an ASD. On physical examination, a single prominent first heart sound, or S1, a single second heart sound, or S2, and a holosystolic murmur at the lower left sternal border corresponding to a VSD, if present, may be heard. A continuous murmur across systole and diastole may also be heard if a PDA is present. The LV impulse is prominent because of the volume overload from the mixing of both circulations. Due to congested heart failure, the liver may also be enlarged. Let's review this with a question. What variable defines the severity of the early presentation of patients with trichuspid atresia? The degree of RV function and pulmonary artery obstruction. And another question. What is essential to allow passage of blood from the heart to the pulmonary circulation in patients with trichuspid atresia with an impaired RV or pulmonary stenosis? The answer is a patent ductus arteriosus. Part 5. How is tricuspid atresia diagnosed and treated? Tricuspid atresia is most commonly diagnosed by prenatal screening, and diagnosis and more specific detailed evaluation is confirmed with postnatal echocardiography. The echocardiogram will show the absence of the tricuspid valve and a size discrepancy between the RV and LV. Color flow Doppler also shows the lack of blood flow through the region where the tricuspid valve should be. The echocardiogram will also demonstrate associated defects such as a VSD and or an ASD. Tricuspid atresia is a medical emergency in the neonate. Immediately after birth, the PDA needs to be maintained, typically with a prostaglandin E1 infusion. If not already present, an atrial shunt may need to be created as well, especially in cases of underdeveloped, impaired function of the RV and pulmonary artery. Definitive surgical repair is needed and is complex. It is generally done in stages over the first few months and years of life. Even with such stepwise treatment, the patient's ventricular dysfunction progresses and heart transplantation is typically necessary. 
And that's all I have today for Tetralogy of Fallot and Tricuspid Atresia. So let's see if we've completed our goals for this episode. Can you define the right-sided obstructive cyanotic heart defects, Tetralogy of Fallot and Tricuspid Atresia? Both are cyanotic congenital heart defects that involve right-to-left shunts. Tetralogy of Fallot is composed of pulmonary stenosis with resulting right ventricular hypertrophy and a ventricular septal defect with an overriding aorta draining both ventricles. Tricuspid atresia is a non-functioning or a lack of development of a tricuspid valve and often associated with underdevelopment or hypoplasia of a right ventricle and pulmonary artery stenosis. Next, can you describe the clinical presentation, pathophysiology, and complications of Tetralogy of Fallot? Patients typically present with tet spells or episodes of cyanosis, rapid breathing, and agitation, triggered by exertion or physiologic stressors. On exam, they will have a systolic ejection murmur and a single S2 sound. The pulmonary stenosis, VSD, and overriding aorta lead to a right-to-left shunt, causing deoxygenated blood in the RV to mix with the systemic circulation in the LV. Can you describe the diagnosis and management of Tetralogy of Fallot? Echocardiography is diagnostic and will show the defects including the VSD, overriding aorta, pulmonary stenosis, and RV hypertrophy. Treatment of TET spells includes putting the child in knee-to-chest position and providing supplemental oxygen. It may also include morphine, volume expansion, and or beta blockers. Definitive treatment involves the repair of the VSD and the RVOT obstruction. Now, can you describe the clinical presentation, pathophysiology, and complications of tricuspid atresia? Patients with tricuspid atresia will present with ductal-dependent cyanosis at birth and over time develop signs and symptoms of congestive heart failure. On physical examination, there will be a single prominent first and second heart sound. Tricuspid atresia is incompatible with life unless the patient has sources of communication between the right and left sides of the heart, such as an ASD, PFO, VSD, and or PDA. In patients with pulmonary obstruction, Blood from the RA is shunted via an ASD to the LA, then to the LV and out via the aorta, and from there it reaches the lungs via a PDA. And lastly, can you describe the diagnosis and management of tricuspid atresia? Most patients are now diagnosed prenatally by echocardiogram. Prostaglandin infusion followed by surgical repair is the most typical therapy, and surgery is required for long-term survival. Thinking back to your newborn patient, Paola Braga, who presents with an episode of cyanosis and irritability during feeding and has a systolic ejection murmur and a single S2 heart sound, as you prepare to explain her findings to her new parents, you wonder... How will you explain the news to the Bragas, and can you give them a better sense of the long-term prognosis? It sounds like Paula may be experiencing a TET spell, and this is supported by the abnormalities on her heart exam and the parent's memory that Paula needs to be seen by a cardiologist. 
You explain to the Bragas that Paula may have some differences in her heart that are making it harder for her lungs to get blood. But there are things that can be done to help Paula. For example, if she gets agitated, her parents can bring her knees up to her chest and soothe her until she calms down. If this persists and she remains blue in color, she should be brought in for care immediately so she can get oxygen. Eventually, she'll meet the cardiologist who can give them more details, answer questions, and discuss the long-term steps in treatment, including how to correct this with a more definitive surgery. You acknowledge this sounds very scary and will make sure that she meets the cardiologist today. But with treatment and surgery, most patients like Paola do very well. And that's all I have for today's audio brick. Thanks for joining me. If you liked this episode, give it a thumbs up or a comment. You can enjoy the full brick experience online at www.usmle-rx.com, complete with illustrations, questions, flashcards, and active learning. Stay healthy out there.